Uh, so grateful to see all of you and to say Happy New Year to you. Good morning and Happy New Year. So great to uh, worship together. Um, I do see just a few open seats sort of sprinkled in, so if you're getting uncomfortable on a window seat, you can probably find your way up here to the front. And I uh, do also want to just say uh, to all of you who are joining us in the overflow, um, thank you so much for being here and um, your patience with us. Um, I should let you know, just in case, I see so many friends that um, I have not had an opportunity to meet before. Um, I'll be down front here, and I'd love an opportunity to meet you. A few of our other elders will also be down front. If you'd like to just get to know a little bit about our church um, or get to know us in any way, we'd love uh, a chance to, to do that. Um, also, so you know, we have two services most of the time. And so uh, next weekend on January 8th, if my calendar is correct, we'll be back to our normal service times, uh, which are at 9 and 1045. And so um, anybody that wants to come to the 9 o'clock, you're welcome to do that next week. And uh, that'll spread us out a little bit and make more room for you. Um, and hopefully a little bit more comfortable um, here. Uh, also, and you can't always see this, I know in the overflow, but I'm going to point uh, to my right, uh, just if you are a guest, that is where our Littles ministry takes place. Miss Shelley Knight is our Littles minister, and so if you have a young one um, next weekend, that, those rooms are open for your littlest ones four and under, and our kids' church is over here. Where you guys are at in overflow is are typically where um, our kids' church meets on Sunday mornings. And so just to give you a little bit of a lay of the land of where you're at, and my name's Ryan, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And um, again, it's such a joy to uh, welcome you here, to say Happy New Year to you, and to worship together. As we begin this new year, um, I, uh, we're going to look at a text in Matthew chapter 2, and um, more than likely a familiar story to some of us. Um, but it is a very appropriate text, I believe, um, based just on the calendar of where we are at, but also, um, no matter when we look at this, to remind ourselves of what we worship. You know, one of the central questions, if not the central question, of every single one of our lives, a question that we all must answer, is what have you done with Jesus? What has been your response to who Jesus is? As you have been introduced to him in some way, if not before this morning, you're going to get to meet and be introduced to the story of Jesus Christ, who is my Savior, my Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and we will all be left with a response. We'll have to answer the question, what will we respond? How will we respond to that Jesus? You know, sometimes I've had this question asked of me before. Um, in a conversation with a friend who perhaps is struggling with um, what to do with Jesus and how to respond to Jesus and perhaps just really faith in God. And, and some of you, I would expect in this room, probably are asked, have had those same struggles even now or in your past where you're like, I'm not really even sure I believe in this God. And in those conversations, one of the things that will sometimes be said to me is like, well, if this God is so loving and he, he's all, you know, all that you say he is, what, what about people who've never heard the gospel? What about people who've never heard of Jesus? And my response is always the same. Anytime someone has that kind of refute or, or conversation with me, just graciously, I am so glad that you are concerned about people who don't know Jesus, who perhaps haven't heard the gospel that I've shared with you. I'm so thankful that you have that concern in your heart. And that concern in your heart is not something that comes natural. So I'm going to believe that it's something that God has placed there. But before you can do that, 
You have to ask, what have you done with Jesus? We can be so concerned about those that are out there and think that that gives us an excuse to ignore Jesus in our own lives. We have to say, what have we done with Christ? What has our response been to the gospel? And there's a lot of theological arguments that we could discuss, but the response is, have you responded to the gospel and as you have heard the good news of what Jesus has done, do you worship him? In Matthew chapter 2, we read of the story of the wise men who came to worship Jesus, who visited Jesus just a couple weeks after his birth. We don't know the exact timing of that, but we do know that it was somewhere after his birth. The wise men came to visit Jesus, and they didn't just come to visit him, but they came to worship him. And in this text in Matthew chapter 2, in the first few verses, we're going to see two responses to Jesus, to his birth, to his arrival, to what he came to proclaim. We see Herod's response, and we will see the wise men's response. And so if you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 2 as I read, and you can follow along with me on the screens if you would like. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, king, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star, and they had seen when it had rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and warned him in a dream, excuse me, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So as I said, we see these two responses to Jesus, one from the wise men and the other from Herod. And when we look at this text, we can learn a few things about how we are to respond to Jesus. First thing is we look at in verses 1 and 2, and down in verses 11, we see that wise men came to worship Jesus. They didn't come to Jesus for just to see him. They didn't come to Jesus for the novelty. They didn't come to Jesus to just sort of... uh, you know, hey, I heard about this guy. I need to kind of go investigate what he is doing. Or I heard this birth was happening. There's this, this baby over here. No, they came to worship Jesus. So many of us, this is sometimes my heart. I'll just confess to you. I come to Jesus with my needs, with my list of demands, with the things that I want Jesus to do for me. I'm not really as interested in Jesus himself as much as I'm interested in the things that I think Jesus might be able to do for me or to provide for me. I just encourage you, just consider your prayer life. As you pray and 
come to God? Does your prayer life begin typically with, God, help me do this, do that. Would you give me? Is it a list of things that we need? By the way, God is interested and loves you unconditionally. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the word says. He wants to bless you and give you all of those good gifts. But when we come to Jesus, the first thing we do is we come to worship him. I'm afraid sometimes we get that backwards. And if we would be satisfied in Christ alone, in just receiving and knowing Jesus, some of these other things would become, one, less significant to us, and our desires and thoughts and hopes would be shifted a little bit. Have you ever been curious why Jesus would say, believe in me, and then following that, he essentially would say, ask anything you want and it will be given to you? Because Jesus knows when you come to worship him alone, when he is Lord and your heart is fully focused on just the blessing and the grace of knowing Christ, that there's a transformation that occurs in your heart and the desires of your heart are shifted. The needs that you have, the things that you want to see in your life, they are all transformed by a heart that is truly and sincerely worshiping Christ alone. The wise men didn't come to take from Jesus or to receive authority from him or to even be blessed by him. They came with one reason, to worship him. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. If you'll skip ahead on the screen, you can see that text. The wise men came to worship him. They fell down in the house and worshiped Jesus. One of my favorite quotes is from John Piper. He said one time in a missions conference, he says, missions exist because worship does not. You want to know why we have to go leave this place, as many of you had, and why we will continue to do that as a church family, to go to parts of the world that have not heard the name of Christ? The reason that we have to go is because in those places, they're worshiping the wrong things. If worship existed, if we were worshiping Jesus, we wouldn't have to go, but we go because we want to point people to Jesus. We who have followed Christ know the joy of worshiping Jesus, know the joy of knowing him, and we want all people to know that joy of worshiping Jesus. Wise men came to worship Jesus for who he was, just for him, not to get something from him. The other interesting thing about this, based on their background, is that the wise men knew who the true king was. Notice again, look at verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The wise men knew. It is clear that in some way they had heard of this Messiah. They had heard the prophecies of who this Messiah would be. There are some who believe that the, the, the wise men coming from the east had heard the prophecies of Daniel at some point, had received those scrolls and had studied them and understood that this Messiah would be the king of the Jews. He would come to rule. And so they had studied, they knew at least something. They knew who the true king was. This wasn't just some sort of mystic understanding of the stars. I think sometimes we focus 
through whether, I don't know about you, but in my youth, we used to sing that song, We Three Kings, and we focus a lot on the star. The star is a focus, of course, pointing to Bethlehem. But it's not that these wise men or the Magi just were, they were astrologers, but they weren't just doing sort of something based on stars or astronomy or some sort of magic. They understood there was something special about this child. They knew who Jesus was. It's also interesting that if you look in verse 4, all of the others that Herod assembled. Herod assembles the chief priests, the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them. Notice what he says, where the Christ was to be born. They had studied and they knew who Jesus was. They would reject him. Those same priests and same people who told Herod about this Jesus and where he would be born and all of the things, they would ultimately, many of them would reject him, but they knew You know, most people I've found deny Jesus or God as a whole, but they recognize he is real. Scripture says that our hearts are created for our creator. As people created in the image of God, we can try and push back and wrestle against belief, but the reality is we know deeply in our souls. You know, I've had to come face to face with this recently. Some people claim to believe or say that the Eagles are the best team in the NFL. And they say that based on their record right now. Um, But I don't like to say that. I don't know if you picked up on my tie. 2023 is the year of the boys. I don't like to say that because that's not my team. My team is the Cowboys, and we are, of course, at least when it comes to a silly little game, there's this rivalry that exists. And so what happens? When I hear that conversation come up, I just sort of shy away. I don't want to have that conversation this year because I do know their record, and I kind of know about Jalen, and I know all these things that have happened on the field, but I don't want to acknowledge And you don't, I don't want to say that. So you won't ever hear me say it again, but it is true. Right now, the Eagles are the best team in the NFL. Please don't tell anyone that. I deny it because I don't want it to be true. Because I don't want it to be true because of what it means for me. So often, when we think about God, And if there's a denial of God, if there's a rejection of the scriptures, if we don't want to submit ourselves and humble ourselves before God, we want to just ignore him and claim that he doesn't exist. It's a lot easier for us just to say that, no, there is no God. No, there is no Jesus there. He didn't come and lay down his life for me. He doesn't love me unconditionally. He doesn't do all of these things that are true about him. If I can push all that back, then all of the implications of who he is aren't true for my life. Because guess what is true? If Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the Savior of the world, if he did come and lay down his life for me so to redeem me so that I could have a relationship with God, then I have no other response than to fall down on my knees as the wise men did and worship him. That's all I can do. And so what do I do in my sinfulness? I'm not sure about God. I'm not really sure, did he really say that? Did God's word, just as the enemy said to Eve in the very first time, did God, does God's word really say that? 
and we want to push back and we want to carve out this sort of safe place for ourselves where perhaps we can acknowledge God a little bit, maybe even Jesus a little bit, but we don't want to believe who Jesus truly is. We don't want to believe that he is the Messiah because if that is true, then we've got to come face to face with that. We've got to accept that and believe that, and if we do, we have to say there is nothing else worthy of my worship. There is nothing else worthy of my life. My life is his and his alone. That's the truth. The wise men knew who the true king was. Herod also was told who the true king was. And Herod, like many of us, said, no, I don't want to believe that. Why? Because he had an idol. And idols will always demand more than we can give. Look at Herod's response in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, when he heard who Jesus was, he was troubled. He was deeply troubled. See, Herod was threatened by the fact that Jesus would be king. That idol was power and authority, and he was not going to relinquish his power. He did not allow Jesus to threaten his power and his rule. And so he rejected him, and he wanted to go out, and ultimately, as we know, what happened, he wanted to see this Jesus killed so that there would be no threat Idols will always demand more than we can give, friends. They demand our worship. They demand everything from us. And Jesus is the only one, though, who is truly worthy of our worship. And you know this is true because when you start to worship him alone, when Jesus becomes the focus of your life, guess what will happen? Your idols will rage. Your idols will feel threatened. And you and your spirit will begin to push back against that. I don't know if you've been to the dentist lately. My wife makes me an appointment, whether I like it or not. I try to reschedule it. I get away with one reschedule, and then she says, no, you really got to go to this one. But when we go to the dentist, and I love you, any one of you that deal in dental work um, and hygiene, but, you know, it's painful because they, they, they you know, they kind of tap around on your teeth and they do that thing, just even in my ear, just thinking about that right now, it kind of makes my back a little squirmy. I kind of feel some, something on my neck here. But what happens is they're looking for a pain because if they can find that pain point, then they know there's something unhealthy there to root out. Well, let me just tell you how you can identify your idols. Start worshiping Jesus alone and find the places where you are angry, where you get frustrated, where there's challenges in your heart, where you're finding this sort of tension, and you will know that's an area that's an idol. Put down your phones for the next 30 days and wake up without it. And I guarantee you, if it's an idol for you, for the first few days, you're going to be really upset when you wake up. You're going to have this anger, this sort of, it'll be a thing in your soul. And that'll be the Holy Spirit of God telling you that thing possesses too much of your time and your energy. That's just one thing. I don't know what it might be for any of us. But perhaps as we root out those idols, as we start a new year, we can create new rhythms of life that would help us to push those aside, but our idols will always demand more. In Exodus 20, God is giving the Ten Commandments to his people. He says, you shall not bow down to them, speaking of idols, or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Sometimes we hear that word of being a jealous God, and you might think to yourself, why would God be jealous? That seems a little harsh. Well, once again, go ahead and try to kill an idol and see how jealous the idols are. 
God is the only one who deserves to be jealous because he's the only one who is worthy of our worship. And if we worship him alone, the idols will begin to fall. But let me just tell you, that's not going to be easy work to do because those idols will demand more. Worshiping Jesus, though, let me just testify to you, and as we look at his word, it's affirmed, worshiping Jesus produces great joy. Does anyone sort of desire to not have great joy in their life? Any of you interested in just kind of hanging out in anguish, frustration, bitterness, sorrow, sadness? If if that's your game, again, come forward, please. I'd love to just pray with you and encourage you and just really just give you a hug is all I want to do. So I'll be right down front and uh, give you a good big hug. You know, I don't know if you've been to a funeral before, and seen mourners who are grieving with their arms raised in worship to Jesus? I have. I've seen that happen. I've been that person saying goodbye to my mom and yet being able to stand on the front row and lift my hands raised to Jesus to praise him. I hope someday you might be able to experience that. Tears flowing, grief of course happening, but a praise, and a joy. I've seen that in families that I've ministered to in my life. They're filled with joy as they worship Jesus in a situation that makes absolutely no sense. Worshiping Jesus produces joy. Look back at verse 10. When they saw the star, this is the wise men, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The angels who had come to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds told them that they brought them good news of great joy. Worship produces joy. Think about this. The disciples, at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father as he promised he would do. The disciples are going to say goodbye to walking with Jesus. They've spent three years of their life with Jesus himself. And now he's going to ascend and leave them. And look what it says that they did in Luke 24, 52 and 53, the bottom of the screen. And they worshiped him, this is Jesus, and returned to Jerusalem with what? With great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. I don't know about you, but I find that passage, that text, a little bit perplexing. Jesus has left them. He's ascended to, and and, and yes, they knew all of his promises, and they understood the gospel, and they believed clearly, but he had left them, and they are filled with joy, because worship produces joy. If we would worship him, we would find ourselves filled with much more joy. By the way, the next book in the Bible, the book of Acts, tells everything that those disciples did empowered by the Holy Spirit as a result of the great joy of their life. They were filled with joy here in Luke uh, 24, and they go on in the book of Acts to do great and mighty things, to build the kingdom, to see the church planted and explode, and ultimately we are here as a result of those disciples who were filled with joy as they worshiped Jesus. 
See, worship leads our hearts to recognize the power of God and the goodness of his lordship. We have a gracious king. What we celebrated at Christmas just a week ago today was that God himself would come to dwell with us so that he could live a perfect life, a life that we could not live, lay down that life, three days later take up his life again to call us to himself. And he loves you unconditionally. That means there is no condition of your heart that God finds unlovable. Do you hear that? There's no condition that God finds in you that is unlovable. He calls you to himself. And worship will lead our hearts to recognize the power of God. The wise men came and they worshiped Jesus for who he was. They knew that he was the true king. They laid down all of the other idols, it seems, in this moment in their life at least, to worship Jesus, and they were filled with great joy. This is one of the great hopes that I have for our church as a family, that we would be people who worship Jesus wholly, just for who he is, not for the things that he can give us, not just for his good gifts, but for who he is, our Redeemer, our Messiah, our Savior, the one who has transformed us. If you're a guest here, our mission statement here at City Church is to be a community of people growing in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We want to be continually building up one another as a community, a family, and grow in submission to his Lordship. And part of that growing in submission is that we would worship him and worship him alone. And we say we do that for the glory of God because it's not about us, for the good of the city because we're here to care for you and to minister to this community that we've been sent to, and for the hope of the world because there are people who are far off. And as we worship Jesus with our whole lives, we will be sent to go help those who are far from him so that their lives might become lives filled with worship. That's our desire, that we would worship him and worship him alone. So to that end, I want to invite you to focus your hearts on Jesus this year, to focus your attention on him. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to know Jesus through his word. Some of you who have been around for a little bit know that this last year we read the Bible together, the whole thing, in a year. It was an awesome exercise to discipline ourselves, and there was a lot of reading Well, this year we are making available a three-year Bible reading plan. So lest you think that we want to always just sort of drive that ship hard, this is a slow, methodical meditation on God's Word, walking you over the next three years, slowly giving you time. Let me just give you a little preview of this. In the first week, you'll see there are 12 readings, four per day but there's really only three days that are given there. So you can spread this out over the whole time. I'm not good enough at math, but what I can tell you is that there's something like 150 some odd weeks in three years. Am I right about that? No, I'm not terrible. I don't know what it is, but it's something like that. Matt will fix this when he comes back up in a moment. But there's only like 120 weeks in this book, all right? There's 120 some odd. To, again, give you space 
Because we all know what's going to happen. We're going to, be, we're going to read our Bibles this year, and we're going to do it this first week, and then we're going to come to week two, and you're going to feel guilty, and you're going to feel oppressed. You're like, I didn't do it. And Ryan's going to call on me, and he's going to know. No, you just get to slowly at your own pace, and there's plenty of grace to just walk through God's word and meditate on it. And this comes to leading us, and my hope is it would lead us to become worshipers. As I close this morning, I want to read Psalm 16. Psalm 16, it'll be on the screen behind me. I want us to read this together. So guests, I don't usually do this, just so you know, don't get too nervous. But we're going to read this together aloud. And Miss Jessica, I don't think is in the room right now, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I want this for anyone who is, goes over there to kids' church. Psalm 16, verse 6, the last verse there. The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. If you can memorize that verse and go tell it to me or Miss Jessica or one of our staff members, kids, we're going to have something special for you, okay? You're going to get a little bit of a, a reward for doing that. Church family, I want us all to memorize this psalm together this year. Psalm 16. So as Matt prepares to leave, would you just stand and let's recite this psalm together? Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came so that we could know God. We could know you. Help us to be worshipers. Let the story of these wise men who came to you at your birth to simply acknowledge your lordship your sovereignty, your rule. May we all be people who acknowledge that in our lives. May we remember what we just said, that at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You are the giver of all good gifts, God. Let us be filled with joy this year as we worship you and you alone pray these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.